For January 25th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 82, The Lamentations of the Women. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Like Noah emerging from the ark after a week that dumped like 14 to 16 inches of rain on my native Los Angeles, I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with the colder but drier panel on the East Coast to overthink many, many things, including what is best in life. (laughs) No, no, you got to ask it right. It's Conan. What is best? In- <laughs> uh, I was going to put. I was going to leave it to the listeners to kind of piece it together. But yes. oh, come on! Oh, so yeah. you picked tonight of all nights to start respecting the listeners. <laughs> That's right. Coco, what is best in life? Coco, what is best in life? And that is Peter Fenzel. Pete, what is best? Pete Conan, what is best in life? Uh, it's to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and pimpbot five thousand. Uh, I still remember the first day I saw Pimpbot 5000. Uh, by far my favorite Conan, uh, the barbarian uh, talk show character. Uh, Pimpbot 5000, if you're unfamiliar, um, was, was sort of popular well before pimps were the sort of mainstream uh, sort of pirate ninja uh, uh, ridiculousness that they are now, and we're back to be considered more of a kind of exploitation feature. But I think that the first time I saw Pimpbot 5000, I laughed for like 15 minutes. So I'm going to say that those are the three things: so to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and Pimpbot 5000. Thank you, Pete Fenzel. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I'm moving kind of quickly because there's a big panel tonight. Um, like the large endowment of the masturbating bear, our panel is likewise <laughs> large. Uh, this evening, I saw the masturbating bear. I'd heard about it, but I'd never seen it until I saw it like on Hulu the other day. The other day, that is a bear that masturbates. <laughs> Mark Lee Conan, what is best in life? I guess not lamentations of the women. That's probably not so PC anymore. <laughs> That's the other thing that 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 uh, that Conan the Barbarian thought was best in life, which Fendel Fenzel so tactfully neglected. Um, I will say, you know what's best in life. Uh, for Conan and for myself is rocking out because that finale send off with Freebird, although Conan's guitar solo was a little, shall we say, uh, sloppy. Um, it was just it was just such a wonderful moment of exuberance and rocking out. Hey, and we really can't, we can't all be a, a rock god like you, Mark. That's true. I suppose I should let the lesser beings have their fun. You should let them have their fun. If you want to get a a sense of what a rock god Mark Lee is, just Google the phrase Terminator Monster Ballad. (laughs) Uh, Don't don't you have a new cut online, Mark? A new what? A new cut online, like a new video of yourself playing music that you just put online? Oh, it was me playing playing Thunder Road on piano. It's not quite... uh, Rocking out in the same way as the Terminator power ballad, but well, every bad boy has a soft side, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. God, it's funny. Google Terminator Monster Ballad. It seems like every site on the internet has uh, has kind of taken up uh, has has republished your your YouTube video. That's fantastic. Uh, rocking out. All right, Mr. Josh McNeil. Yes, uh, I'm going to go with uh, the greatest thing in life is Andy Richter, the Red Sonia to Conan O'Brien's Conan. 
I'm, you know, I'm going to miss Andy Richter for the two months before his new sitcom debuts. <laughs> is that happening? Is he, is he taking control of the universe again? I'm making a bet that it does. <laughs> no, don't you think that Andy uh, Richter goes with, goes with Conan to, to Fox or wherever? Possibly. I actually, I actually see them in some sort of an HBO type uh, vampire southern gothic drama. But <laughs> one can only hope. They do have that pale cast. Exactly. They're perfect for it. Mm. I hope they join the cast of True Blood just straight up. That would yeah, be pretty yeah, it's fabulous. <laughs> John Parrish, welcome back to the podcast. What up, what up, what oh, up. There goes the tagline. Um, hey, other than being back with us, what is best in life, sir? Well, I'll, uh, I'll tell you what's best in life. Uh, Conan, Conan O'Brien, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. <laughs> no one, not even you, will remember if Late Night with Conan O'Brien was a good show or bad. Why we fought or why Jay Leno took it back after less than a year on the air. All that matters is that Conan O'Brien stood against the NBC studio system. That's what's important. Valor pleases you, Crom. So grant Conan O'Brien one request. Grant him revenge. <laughs> oh, finish it. Finish it. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you. <laughs> oh, you got to finish it. Oh, man. I love that so much. That's so wonderful. We're back when back when Blinky and I lived together, we used to put on the Conan O'Brien, uh, the Conan O'Brien, the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack, and just clean the house to it. Hey, do you want to watch this, or should I take care of it first? <laughs> uh, and finally, Mr. Jordan Stokes. Hello, 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 sir. What is best in life? I'm Bugatti Veyron Mouse. That was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> can you explain to everybody what that is, in case they didn't see it? I mean, I'm assuming everybody everybody saw it or can Google it. But uh, sometime over the past week, Conan O'Brien decided that he was going to stop making sketches that were funny and instead just make sketches that cost NBC a lot of money. And he said, we're introducing a new character, which is called Bugatti Veyron Mouse. The Bugatti Veyron being the most expensive car in the world. <laughs> And the mouse version of that being a Bugatti Veyron with giant mouse ears and whiskers. And the character has a theme song, which is the original master recording of the Rolling Stones playing Satisfaction. Which is not funny, not appropriate to a car or a mouse, but hella expensive. And they did it. Now, uh, he said on the last night that it was all fake. Right? I think that that the the Kentucky Derby winner was not actually... Uh, spraying or no? What was it on the last night? Spraying a, a uh, giant skeleton of a ground sloth. Oh right, like, or yes. A <laughs> a giant ground sloth. Spraying beluga <laughs> caviar onto an original Picasso. <laughs> that is that is both funny and crazy expensive if you were to do it for real. But that's I mean that's funny. Though I did hear that you know um, uh, Tom Hanks walked out to the the soundtrack. The, the song Darling Rita, right? Which is a Beatles song, right? 
Yes. Is it? I Lo- Lovely Rita. Lovely Rita. Lovely Rita. Oh, you see, I know nothing about the Beatles. I'm more of a Stones guy myself. Uh, and that, that actually, to license that actually would cost, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a few hundred thousand dollars. So it may, <clears throat> it may be that, like, uh, it may be that he was actually sticking it to the, to the licensing department at NBC, but, but, um... Yeah. Uh, oh, me. Uh, I'm the last one. Yes. What is best in life? Boobies. All right. <laughs> we will return to uh, Conan O'Brien in a second, but we, we want to navel gaze a little bit first. Uh, and uh, and you know that if you want to join us in the navel gazing, what you must do is uh, con- what is best in life? Contacting the Oversinking It podcast at podcast at oversinkingit.com or 20eatlog01. That's 203-285-6401. And to hear the lamentations of the women. Uh, on, the, on the podcast. On the podcast, yes. <laughs> if, you actually, <laughs> if you actually do a voicemail that contains the sound of the <laughs> lamentations of the women, uh, I'll actually play it on the air. I, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> Um, the, uh, oh, yes. Oh, we wanted to say this. Uh, Friday marked the two year, uh, anniversary of overthinking it. We, uh, began on January 22nd, 2008 with a post by Stokes, uh, followed in short order, uh, by a post by Fenzel. So what was the first post? What was Stokes's post about? Uh, it was about there will be blood. I think uh, it was called there will be overthinking it. Mm, and, then, and then your, your first post beat was called first blood awaiting Rambo's requiem. <laughs> <laughs> was that, was that my, that was my piece about the Rambo movie poster. Right. And that was also the occasion of our first over of our first like intro blog feud where like I pissed off some guy who had an advertising blog and like, uh, we went back and forth about it. Or something oh like that, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We actually got the attention of copy ranter very, very early on. Um, mm-hmm. Oh no, no, no. Sorry. Uh, Stokes. First thing was, um, was a post about a blog called nad shot. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously we've had the uh, we've had the high high tone. We've been taking the high road for the. Uh, My rationale was that basically blogs all just talk about each other. So I wanted to start off our blog right by just commenting on some other dude's blog. Awesome. And then um, oh, and then Matt has a humor piece. Matt has oh, and then I let's see. Okay, here's here's the first here's the first couple weeks of overthinking it. Jordan, best of the blogs, Nadshot. Uh, Jordan on the overth- uh, the uh, There Will Be Blood soundtrack. Pete on um, the uh, Rambo poster, the thing. Uh, my, um, my link to the I Drink Your Milkshake <laughs> website that just, um, that just plays the sound clip that is I Drink Your Milkshake. My, uh, is that still up? Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Can we play it? If it is. So while we're waiting for No, it's not <laughs> it's not it's not working. Uh oh, no. then um oh but I the title is Boys to the Yard for the Ivory <laughs> Shake Bus. Um, uh, so, yeah, we all had different ideas about what the blog was going Matt, to be. Matt, those were the days. Matt wrote in, Matt uh, posted a, a Belinky, I mean, posted a uh, a humor piece that McSweeney's had passed on. 
And then Pete started, though, though then Pete was right in with American Tragic Hero number one, John Rambo. And, you know, I'd say that that is, um, that is, uh, that is kind of in line with it. Actually, well, you wrote a lot about. Well, the second came out stuff. about a month ago. Yeah. Well, I wrote about one. Uh, you wrote. You wrote about yeah, American American tragic hero. You wrote a lot about Rambo in the early the early days of the site. Oh, and here's another one. Marketing bot uh, lends the T1000 account. That's you know, that's the first good. of many Terminator posts on the site. Yeah. <laughs> Started with Blinky, and uh, what can I say? I, I I picked out that baton and run and kept on running with it. Hell yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, chasing the truck. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't need to. I don't need to read off the catalog. I don't know. Have Are we... you sure? You can just spend the next hour just reading the titles of our past blog posts. <laughs> hey guys, you remember that time where we wrote that thing about Freddie Prince Jr.? That was awesome. <laughs> that was really great. <laughs> He's uh, the best. He's on TV now too. He's come back. It's impressive. Hey, so, he's an actor that he's an actor that works, which means he's one yes, of yes, exactly. Fred Prince Jr. He's up there. Oh, oh, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, 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 uh, exactly. You, you and I yeah. went there at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, so yes. What what can we say on this? The occasion of our uh, of our twenty uh, of our uh, what. 50, 50, 50 year 50 year anniversary yeah two year anniversary hey and we're now no longer a little thing doing five line posts we post a, a um we post a serious article most weekdays like it's it, that's pretty cool i think if if i do say so myself I mean, I'll, I'll jump in and say that, um, I mean, the obvious thing to do is to thank the readership and thank everybody who's enjoyed the, po- the, web po- the website and thank all the people who've linked to us and be really grateful for all that. But I, more importantly to, to me to put out there, I think, is just how satisfying it's been to work on this project with everybody and, and how just deeply fulfilling it's been, as crazy as that sounds. And, and I think that as crazy as that sounds is a disclaimer you can put in front of pretty much everything that we do. Like, as crazy as this sounds, like, here's a marketing campaign for the T-1000. Like, as crazy as it sounds, <laughs> an in-depth analysis of the core progressions in Cowboy Bebop, you know, as crazy as this sounds, uh, working on overthinking it really uh, kind of, I guess, what quiets my mind it's calming, it's satisfying, it's fulfilling. Quiet's the little voice in your head that screams, kill, kill, kill. <laughs> exactly, you know, because Lord knows what, what we would, if, if we didn't have this, what we would be on the streets, and we would be causing all sorts of trouble. Like, <laughs> we're like midnight basketball. It's like we... <laughs> the, little, the little voice that says, kill, 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 or write about the Care Bears movie. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, I'm going to take that, that uh, fourth door right there. Option D. <laughs> option A is kill. Option B is kill. Option C is kill. Option D is uh, do an in-depth analysis of the My Little Ponies. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember when I, when I used to live in, in New York and saw a lot of you guys more frequently, I always bemoaned that I never did any, any, a lot of writing. Um, and working on this project, it, it, you can tell – as a writer, you always have to do crazy stuff, I think. And, like, you called upon to do things that are not smart and don't really make a ton of money and, like, all this other stuff. But that's not why you do it. And if you do something like overthinking it and you find it satisfying, then you know that you're doing the right thing. Um, and so, yeah. Apparently, all you needed to do to unlock the secret door of creativity was get the hell away from all of us. Well, no profit. No profit, <laughs> uh, no profit is welcome in his own land. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, Jordan, if we were all together, we would just be watching TV all the time and talking to each other and not recording it. Hey, so now we uh, have record. <laughs> speaking of no profit being welcome in his own land, I got an email at podcastedoverthinkingit.com. Uh, I was going to save it, but. Um, uh, you know what? We'll save discussion of it. But the guy calls us out for like a lot of biblical quotations uh, in the mm. course in the course of the podcast. Apparently, uh, apparently we be quoting from sc- scripture. Uh, to be fair, to be fair, two of us on this podcast were once on the payroll of the Catholic Church. Yeah, I'm just saying that's true. It is that's a true, true fact. Not not <laughs> it is a true fact as opposed to all those other false facts out there. <laughs> um, hey. Uh, uh, John, you weren't really – you didn't go to college with, uh, with us. <laughs> you're one of two That's people correct. You're one of two people on overthinking and who didn't graduate from Yale within like two years of, of one another. So um, how did you – I mean not to get too self-indulgent or anything, but what do you think about oh, really? us? Oh, really? Right. Not, not to get too self-indulgent now of all times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. What, what did you think of overthinking it? How did you come into contact with it? How did you hear about it? <laughs> <laughs> and how can, we, how can we how can we leverage your experience as a kind of marketing campaign to get more people like you in <laughs> all right I'll, I'll i'll take it from here so <laughs> i i was first introduced to overthinking it through pete fenzel who i do improv with on occasion here in lovely boston massachusetts and you know started started checking things out and then i i forget whether Pete solicited me or I contacted him, but I thought, hey, you know, I've got this idea for an overthought article. I, I think the first one I did was, the, was overthinking the title of the Quantum of Solace uh, James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. That was my very, very first one. It was just a little 500-word whatnot. And then I did the one on uh, the, the Cartesian Theater in Rick Springfield's Jesse's Girl. Yeah. And then... You know, it was just it was just sort of taken away from there, and then you guys brought me on as full time writer, which is awesome. Thanks, and, and now I now I help edit on occasion. So uh, on occasion, <laughs> on occasion, you know. So first, knowing knowing Pete for one thing was was helpful. So I, I so guess get to know Pete. We, I guess if you want to, yes, if you want to. Pete is you know, he's a good guy to know. If you want to burn we, we can, overthinking it. I, I guess we can reach out more to, to other funny and literate people we know and say, hey, do you want to write for this website of ours that was linked to off Boing Boing that one time? And it's been great bringing guest writers on as well, like Andre, our, our newest addition, and you know, just having, just having a good steady, I guess, stable of, of guest writers who provide you know, different, different tones than we do. Because we, we talk to each other a lot, and we... After a while, we tend to sound very similar to each other. So, yeah, we sound you know, similarly it, awesome. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, that's a way to put it. But uh, but yes, we are we are always looking for for quality guest writers and interesting points of view. So if you if you have an an unusual angle at which to consider some element of pop culture. Please, by all means, email you know editor at overthinkingit.com, Get in touch with us, and we will we will give your piece due consideration. As to how we can make more money, uh, we oh, oh sorry, was it make more money or expand the reach of the website? Get get more people into the site. Find another okay. John Parrish. Aw, you guys. Well, yeah, we're we're looking for more for more guest writers because I think the more writers we have, the more 
avenues of promotion we have, trusting that, you know, we all promote our pieces ourselves and, you know, take a look at different voices. Well, so. I wait for you to promote my piece. Well, write something for the site then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how long it takes to, to crunch this thing into a podcast every day? You know, every now and again, when Gossip Girl moves me, I do I do uh, <laughs> set pen to paper. Mark, what do you want to say? Hey, yeah, I was interested that, John, you mentioned that um, we start to sound like each other, at least in the writing voice. And I can definitely see where that is true sometimes. But that being said, and I think this has been said in the podcast before, that all of us really bring different unique perspectives and styles to the site still and ways of attacking things. I think, uh, Matt, what you mentioned last week in terms of the zooming in versus zooming out thing, I think some of us really specialize in the zooming in thing like Belinky and uh, myself with some of the quantitative things that I do. And then other folks really specialize in the zooming out part, like Fenzel, for example, um, and bringing in all the sort of the, the storytelling dynamics and the references to the classical and Shakespearean roots of a lot of storytelling that we see here. So I'd say there's, we should at least acknowledge that there's still plenty of that going on as well. What do I do, Mark? What do I do? What do I do? Huh? Huh? What do I do? You, 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 you make us look good. Yeah, John, oh. the thing that the, the, oh, wait, uh, wait, John, can I ask you to the zoom in, dolly out? <laughs> <laughs> like, so that, like in vertigo? Is that, <laughs> no, it's actually the other way. It's dolly and zoom out, right? So that the, the focal length of the lens is shortened and the figure appears to gain in distance from the background. Anyway. <laughs> well, John left out my, one of my favorite parts of the story of how he got involved which was that the first time that I actually approached him and asked him to write for the site was when I was pretty drunk at a karaoke bar. <laughs> I can't remember, you sure write for my website? I really, I mean this. I'm really serious about this. Like you're, cause, and I think that the way I characterize John's work in general as a performer and as a writer is that, um, uh, well, as a karaoke singer, especially, he always picked songs and saw, picked, picked good songs and sought to sing them well, which was kind of astounding for me, who does not seek to do such things. <laughs> um, you're either dealing with a good song or you're trying to sing it well, but doing them both at the same time is kind of like mind blowing for me. Um, so I think that uh, that John has a certain focus on quality. Um, which I don't mean to say that other people's focus on quality isn't there, but it's a specific to him in terms of the work that I've seen him do, um, especially considering his his ability to get it done among groups of fairly silly people. Uh, like with all with all of the world, those groups of silly people, including all these wonderful people around our virtual table here and all my friends in the Boston Improv community, like we can all be wonderful, gleeful, chaotic, silly people at times. And and I've always saw John as somebody who has kind of a one foot in that, but is also one foot grounded on. Um, something a little bit more kind of rooted in his own sense of, of what sort of quality and what isn't, which I guess is important for a guy like him to always have his balance, considering that he's also a well-accomplished martial artist. So, Crom, I have never prayed through before. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, when, when someone tells me how serious I am for like 10 minutes, right, I need to quote Conan happen. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I, and also I didn't mention the karaoke bar simply because for, for the listeners um, to this podcast, it can be presumed that any offline conversation between Pete Fenzel and I, one of us was was drunk at a karaoke bar at the time. <laughs> like, just just take that as red for all future interactions. Got it. We're not alcoholics. We just love karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Hey, Stokes, do you want to wax philosophical about how awesome we are? No, I'm good. 
<laughs> well, let's wax philosophical about how awesome Stokes is for a second because it's his birthday today. Right? Happy birthday, Stokes. Oh, so now you've outed me. I, I feel like uh, I always want to maintain a little bit of distance from biographical details on the website so that if, you know, somebody that I work for or a family member that's a little bit elderly finds the site, I can just sort of pretend that it might be some other Jordan Stokes, it being such a common name and all. But now they're <laughs> going to know that it's uh, – well, actually, maybe they'll get confused because this podcast is going to be posted tomorrow, right, in the future? Yes, tomorrow, April 27th, 2007. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> in the clear. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they they certainly won't recognize your voice either. Especially when we go back and digitally scramble it, you know, to make you sound like uh, the anonymous people on like America's Most Wanted and things like that. Right, right. No, we're actually not going to do that. There are, you know, I I will say this. There are a lot of Jordan Stokes. If you if you search for Jordan Stokes, um, which you should do every day. Yeah, you get you get a lot of people. But one of the first, one of the highest image results for Jordan Stokes is the Overthinking It podcast logo. Mystifying. <laughs> well, because it's a picture of me, right? No, because oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 because you look like a you look like a wry cloud arching its eyebrows. Um. All right. Well, that's uh, that's enough for uh, you know us navel gazing. Hold on, I got one more piece of navel gazing. So I'm I'm the most recent person to start writing for the site, and uh, and I wanted to just say that uh, it's been as as someone who spent you know the first uh, year and ten months of the site as a reader, uh, I'm going to speak for the rest of the readers and listeners and thank all of you for doing this. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to read. Thank you, Josh, and thank you, all the readers. Here's to the next two years. You know, we love, you know, keep writing in, write in, call into the podcast, comment on the site, give us your, well, actuallys. Um, You know, we haven't, oh, someone, yeah, someone pointed out on the site that we haven't got uh, logo merchandise um, with, like, we have funny t-shirts that, like, you know, Which are my, grossly inappropriate for our subject matter for the most part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which actually. I protested strongly at the time. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Yeah, they are. A couple of them get a little R-rated. But uh, uh, my favorite is... We did that to is, make money, right? We sold none of them. My favorite anyway. is... Um, I say this as a Durkheimian, not as an angry, angry teenager. And the, uh, you know... Um, uh, we have some T-shirts, but we don't have logo merchandise. So we're gonna we're gonna get some uh, we're gonna get some some T-shirts and things like this. I think we're gonna get a shirt that says Overthinker on it with our logo on the back. I think we're gonna get one that just says OverthinkingIt.com with Otis on the front. Otis is the name of our little cloud logo guy. Um, we're gonna get some some uh, I think one that says subjecting popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. And one John Parrish suggested this uh, that says well actually um, <laughs> because that captures so much about the uh, the tenor of our of many of our discussions with one another. So, you know, we, we look out for that. If you, if you want to get some of that and, and proudly identify yourself as one of the, the, you know, I don't know, half million people who have, who, who have uh, seen the site over the course of the last two years, uh, proudly identify yourself as a member of the audience. You can, you can do that. If you want nothing to do with that, you actually can take the logo off the back of the Zazzle t-shirts. <laughs> so <laughs> you actually, if you want, 
you can get the the bacon t-shirt designed by Jordan Stokes, actually. Uh, you can get that and take the Overthinking logo off the back if you want nothing to do with these nerds on the internet. So thank you for reading. Here's to another uh, two fantastic years. Let's actually overthink something. End of Conan O'Brien's seven-month reign on Late Night. Who wants to start? Well, I'll Matt, start, I'll ask you I'll one st- question. Oh, yeah, okay. Ask me. Ask me your question. We had a moment during the last conversation where we both purport to have possibly thought the same thing at the same time. <laughs> does, it have to yeah, do yeah. With, does it have to do with my muse? <laughs> yes, it does have to do with your muse. <laughs> with my favorite? I, we, we were so Academy. pleased. I was so pleased with that moment. That was great. Matt, tell, talk about it for okay. a second. Okay, so what, um, in, in the... Uh, in the monologue, I guess, on the last night, Conan made a bunch of jokes about the terms of his severance agreement with NBC, uh, and he, he made a lot of jokes about this, and he said, uh, uh, one stipulation, though, oh no, he said, uh, and uh, finally, I'd like to make a request, HBO, if you're listening to this, when you make the movie, the television movie about this whole debacle, uh, I would request that I be played by Academy Award-winning actress Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Star of uh, oh, what was that? Constantine? What was that, George, what was that George Clooney movie called? Oh, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton, and of course, uh, uh, the uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, and Constantine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, you know, Pete made the point when we last uh, the first time we talked about her on the podcast that you know the Academy Award really was for Constantine. Right. <laughs> the, same, the same way Martin Scorsese's Academy Award was not actually for that Boston Cop movie, but was for you know Goodfellas at Alia. Uh, the um, the Tilda Swinton's Academy Award, I think it's it's pretty safe to say, was for Lion Witch, The Wardrobe, and uh, Constantine. Yeah. Anyway, and then they showed a picture, uh, a split screen picture of <laughs> Tilda Swinton, Conan O'Brien, and damned if they didn't look surprisingly alike. <laughs> That's uh, you know yes. Tilda Swinton, God bless her. We love actors yeah. who work on <laughs> on, uh, on overthinking it. Um, anyway, uh, so I'll ask this: Was Conan O'Brien ever really a great fit for the Tonight Show to begin with? Absolutely not. I mean, I'm I'm much more surprised that he ever was going to be the Tonight Show host than that he got canceled right away. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, he became the host because they, they, he had some sort of deal five years ago when he was when he was re-upping for the the late show or what is it called the late night late night with Conan O'Brien, right? Uh, when he was re-upping for that, uh, part of his deal was that in five years he gets the Tonight Show, or else they have to pay him some ridiculous sum of money. Hey, as it turns out, he got the Tonight Show, and they had to pay him some ridiculous <laughs> sum of money to leave. So, you know, turns out he could have his cake and eat it too. But that's how, you know, that's how that uh, came about. Like, back in the heady days of, of 2004, when it seemed like tech stocks were only going to go up and up and up, and housing prices would, you know, would never fall, and America was, you know, united behind uh, a president waging two wars, right? Like, the... Um, you know, back in those heady days, he got uh, he got that deal uh, put in place, and so so got the Tonight Show. You know, it just struck me that we have a large international listenership, and they may not uh, they may not really give a crap about this whole uh, Conan O'Brien thing. 
Don't underestimate the ability of domestic listeners not to give a crap about Conan O'Brien. <laughs> Gosh, guys, can we, for the third year, should, can we put a, a moratorium on talking or writing about things that people don't give a crap about? Because I feel like that's going to our site. So, um, we're, we're, let's start brainstorming some ideas of things that we can write about because that puts me straight out of them. The hills, uh, the hills. <laughs> what about, uh, yeah, what about like how to? Colon, you know, fifty nine surprising ways to turbocharge your sex life. Hey guys, guys, don't let the dentist fool you. All right, listen to this weird old tip to help turn yellow teeth white. <laughs> no, <laughs> no weird mom. old tips. Arr! Weird old tip discovered by a mom on CBS News by Hugh Downs. <laughs> Am I, I'm not the only person who notices those ads all over the freaking place, right? No, you're not the only one. You're okay. Good, good, good. Do you see how she got more toned lately? Like the, the graphic of the girl in the bikini who gets thinner when those advertisements, like she was a cartoon and then they like added some more like tone to her and like gave her a little bit of luster. We do we get those on overthinking it. I've never seen white teeth on overthinking it, but I have seen a uh, girl getting toned. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get, so, we yeah, get it's those like ads. The white teeth, the big ones are the white teeth, the girl getting toned, the like, here's a crazy picture of something unrelated, refinance your mortgage. <laughs> it's like it's a hamster it's like a guy with a beard a bunch of ladies dancing like refinance your mortgage um yeah and and i think those are the big ones that i that i remember seeing pretty much everywhere well you um, know what those ads speaking. those ads must convert right or else they would yank them you know and you oh no could, they make a lot of money I, they, there was a great new york times article on the company that does the mortgage ads oh they yeah make a, oh yeah definitely definitely yeah. speaking of speaking of odd animations on the internet if I may take it back to the, the Conan O'Brien uh, late night oh, uh, for a second. <laughs> My, it's weird because, you know, Conan being kicked off the Tonight Show has sort of sparked this, you know, jacquerie among people of, of our generation, really. The whole I'm with Coco, you know, Obama-esque change logo thing on Facebook statuses and Twitter pages and etc. And yet... In my experience, and I think this is true for most of my friends as well, including people who are on Team Conan, uh, most of our interaction or most of our exposure to any late-night talk show, much less late-night with Conan O'Brien, has been in the form of YouTube clips or clips off Hulu that someone forwards around the next morning being like, hey, did you check this out from the interview last night? Or, hey, there's this funny sketch that Conan did. And very few of us have actually been experiencing the tonight show in its intended form namely you know sitting in front of it from wh- what's its current time slot i keep like 11 to 12 15 11 35 11 35 to 12 35 to 12 35 okay so I mean, if if that was know, nbc versus tivo right <laughs> no, I mean, t- no, it's scheduled as that. So TiVo, TiVo picks it up. I actually think it's it's a it's a nod to the affiliates because the yeah. um, the local the local affiliates do the news at eleven, and so they get that ad revenue. So if the program is longer, it's more ads to sell for the affiliates. Yeah, see what I'm saying. So in it, in any event, to you know, to an international observer or to I guess some alien looking at you know this whole debacle from outer space. The whole fight over who controls the the Tonight Show would look to them like just a really inefficient way of creating YouTube clips. Because, <laughs> like, you know, they, yeah. they they pay they pay millions of dollars every episode to develop you know a YouTube clip effectively, which is which is the most lasting impact of any given episode. Now, like for instance, who was who was watching? 
you know, the Jay Leno, Jay Leno's show, the Tonight Show, and the Jimmy Kimmel show to watch that whole thing play out, or who just watched the video that was forwarded around on Facebook and email and and Twitter statuses. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or on blogs, or on the culture blogs that you read that sort of you know sort through the chaff, so that you don't you don't have to. And then subject pop culture to a level of scrutiny, it probably well, doesn't. No, we do actually – we don't really do that. I mean I guess in the open threads. I guess we do a lot of kind of breaking news stuff in the open threads or recap stuff. But we don't, yeah. really, re- we don't really recap. And it's, it's, it's been my contention from near the beginning when we kind of got our, uh, got our legs that it's not you – know, we're not a news site. Like if you want to come to us, don't come to us for the latest thing that's going on. We're, we're sort of an analysis site. But the, the – um, this is an interesting thing, John. I think that like – you know, could could Conan be the guy who like ma- who makes the webisode main- mainstream, right? What if his next thing were were an internet TV show, right? Like, I'll bet if it's good, he gets just as many YouTube views, you know, as 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 he was getting before. And if you become a YouTube content partner and can monetize monetize that, oh, my favorite word, monetize. Uh, if you can do that, you know, maybe maybe he's the one who can cross over. Because I think you're making a point about our generation, right? Like we don't we we expect the media to come to us. When and, right. where, when and where we want it, we're not going to make a you know make a date to sit down and, and watch um, TV at the same time, and certainly not to to uh, watch one particular network at the same time every night, now, right? Now, the, the ironic thing about all this talk, though, is that Conan himself was at least giving you know saying a lot of things about how his reverence for the institution of the night of the of the of the show, and you know how. You know, pushing a show back was completely unacceptable and would undermine the franchise and all the history of Johnny Carson and all that kind of stuff. I find it to be quite ironic, actually. Yeah, it is, because this is probably the, I mean, the whole deal makes, only makes sense if you see Conan as kind of the future of The Tonight Show and the sort of, because you have to pay a cost uh, in order to switch to a new format, just like if you're rolling out uh, the VHSs and rolling in the, the DVDs. There's going to be a loss of the DVHSs that you're not going to sell as you're trying to get people to adopt this new technology. Um, so it made sense to sort of end Le J. Leno prematurely to get a jump on that sort of generational shift in the audience that sort of get on board with Generation Y because it's the next big thing. Um, but it doesn't make sense if those people don't watch TV. And, and and so if we're going back to Jay Leno, I mean, that's basically like GM saying, well, what we're going to do is put a price incentive on our Cadillacs and that'll fix our problem. You know what I mean? Like, like you're going back to you're giving up the opportunity cost of your of giving of your original audience. But you still haven't solved your underment, your underlying uh, structural problem of this audience getting older and going away, you know, and, and it's not going to be there and, and you're going to get outcompeted by other people. Um, so this is a move backward for NBC and it very well may spell like the the death knell of the tonight show as an institution if if only maybe perhaps reflecting that it's already sort of gone over this threshold of decline um but i don't i i would be very surprised if the person who comes after jay leno ends up actually being a sort of even even halfway worthy of being associated with johnny carson you know what i mean i'm gonna go out on a limb and say the tonight show may be past the point of usefulness or past this problem i mean the it's its central function at this point is to showcase whatever movies in theaters that weekend. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's right. it. That's what yeah, it's or whatever, whatever show, record. It's an hour-long ad for the movies. Whatever record is. The musical is guest and some sketches that could out. just as easily be done by on YouTube without sort of the trappings and the max line breaks. I mean, up. even on a more basic level, Josh, the, ma- the basic purpose of The Tonight Show is – 
to give people something to fall asleep to after the news. So if people don't watch the news, because we don't watch the news, like our generation doesn't watch the news as much as our parents do, not even close. If they don't need that something to fall asleep to after the news, the Tonight Show doesn't even serve its purpose. It makes money by advertising the movies, um, or at least by you know advertising and promoting things. But like as a cultural institution, I think it's it, especially with Jay Leno in it. It's always had this sort of somnolent purpose, this like sort of uh, this comfort, this daily comfort that you have uh, uh, that helps you guide you off to your recuperative hours. Um, right. That, that's why most of the, the famous late-night talk show hosts have been very, you know, sort of steady, dignified, you know, funny, but not in-your-face funny, not threatening funny sort of people. There's, uh, you know, Johnny Carson himself. There's... Uh, well, Tom you know, Snyder uh, and Charlie Rose. Right. Um, but, yeah. You know, they're very, they're, very, they're very steady, very reliable, not going to jump in your face or, or scream obscenities at you. Mm. And even and that was always, Letterman's a little subdued. What? I mean, the, the sort of the neat thing about Conan was that uh, back when he was on Late Night, if you stay uh, awake all the way through Leno or Letterman, who have all of their funny, interesting stuff, very front-loaded, right? Like, that's where the jokes are. Then they bring up the guests, and it's really boring and slow, and you fall asleep to it. But if you make it all the way through to Conan, then you get the masturbating bear. And then you get the <laughs> robot and so on. And I mean, you always got the feeling. This is why I don't think like, he was a good fit for the for the show. You got the feeling that Conan was not a good talk show host, and he didn't really like talk shows. He saw the talk show as an opportunity to throw surrealist anti-comedy at the audience. And then when he wasn't doing that, he would just be kind of a terrible late night talk show host, you know, like have like the the least rapport with the guests. This really awkward way of interacting with the audience and the camera. And like, you know, you you, uh, it was either funny because he was bombing so hard or because the bear was masturbating. But that gets back to what I was saying earlier about the irony of Conan's, the, the way that Conan's talking about his experience with The Tonight Show. I still don't understand if he really wanted to do this or not. Because all the outward appearances of his actions and how he runs the show says that he is very anti-Tonight Show. I don't get In it. that, he wanted his audience to be awake at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's sort of the most basic thing, I guess. I mean, I, I don't think, I think that you have a point, Jordan. I, I don't think he's that bad, but I definitely think that he's not aspiring to the aesthetic values of most talk shows. Uh, I mean, I don't well, think I that... Mean, to say that he's bad is, is probably um, a little bit unfair. I just think that he's trying to do something fundamentally different. Like, he spends a lot of time mocking the whole uh, audience and... Uh, like the interaction of the audience, interaction with the band leader that uh, some other tonight, uh, late night talk show hosts play straight, you get the feeling that he's always just sort of making fun of that. Mm-hmm. In that way, Jimmy Kimmel is actually sort of a better talk show host than Conan O'Brien, right? I mean, he's really sort of embraced that, and even though he's got the roots, like he still tells stupid jokes back and forth. And Dude, Jimmy Fallon, you mean? I'm sorry. Who did I say? Oh, Jimmy Kimmel. Sorry. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, awesome. Jimmy Fallon, the senior. <laughs> Less awkward version of Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Well, Carson Daly was a, a very uh, faithful talk show host type guy when he had his late night show. Is that still on? That's not still on, right? No, it the, is. The it is. I mean, this is? was the this was the thing. Like, if you put Jay at eleven thirty and then push Conan back to twelve, and then uh, what's it called at one? Uh, Kimmel, not Kimmel. God, now you have me doing it. Fallon at one. Then Carson Daly would be at like would be at two in the morning. And what the hell is the point of? Uh, what the hell point is the point of having you know original programming on the air at that hour? 
Mm. Well, maybe maybe we're moving towards just like we have a 24-hour news cycle, we're going to have a 24-hour late-night talk show cycle. <laughs> See, that would be really cool. If you could figure out a way of integrating the different media such that like you could watch the Conan show whenever you wanted to, like I feel like and it would still is still current and, and fun. Like I feel like that would be something worth watching. I mean, you you could figure out a way. You'd have to do sort of a land sea air approach, the way that I like to put it, where you combine the different media and you you run him online, but you also run him on a slot on TV and like maybe he's on a couple of different networks. You sort of almost treat it less sort of like Sports Center, which has kind of become franchised out into all these different um, ways of watching it and like the sort of cultural reach of this institution. Um, yeah, and, and like think, a Law and Order. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and even like, or it becomes the, a brand. It becomes more of a, a comedy brand, like the t- the Conan O'Brien brand. Uh, mm. You know, and you you go to, and the brand kind of communicates with you through several streams, and you go and bathe in the stream of the the of brand's Lake communication. Wash, wash yourself in the water. You know what I'm saying? This is why. This is why I'm saying, like, you know, the Conan Internet strategy might be. You know, this might be really, really interesting. Uh, if you're like me, you know, I get, I get almost everything through the internet. I get TV shows through the internet. I get, you know, movies over this, the Netflix streaming instantly service, and I have the the box that you know you can stream your Netflix movies to the television, and like everything comes over the internet, right? Like iTunes, Amazon, all the you know all these video Russian brides. <laughs> so you know who should you know who should hire Conan is uh, Google. Google should hire Conan. Right. And then Google should could syndicate Conan's material to all of its handheld devices and through its search engines uh, and all of its different portals. And that should be sort of like part of a sort of Google entertainment franchise similar to Google News. Well, right. And you um, start you start doing it on, on – uh, you start doing it on YouTube, right? You can sell a pre-roll ad against it. You can yeah. sell, you know, I guess just normal TV commercials yeah. against that uh, – against that content. Now, you don't have the clout like a lot of the times the way you get big guests on uh on a show is that their movie is owned by the same multinational conglomerate as owns your show. Right, right, right. Does that, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that like these things are are used for you know, synergistic cross promotion of uh of other content within the the family. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Google, you don't have any of that. You don't really have. Um, yeah. You don't really have particular. Well, you, yeah. You don't there. have any any leverage. You know what I yeah. mean? To to uh, to motivate the good guests on your uh, on your show. But you know what? Then all you have to do then is make a product that's entertaining. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, and it's also that works with the formats and with the audience and, and their lifestyles and what they want. Uh, I mean, you you can't really be that you can't be that risky about it. You have to be at least somewhat risk averse with a property like this because it's going to cost eight figures to keep them around, right? Um, so you you have to have some sort of some sort of built in audience or sure thing. You can't really be out there on the edge, being like, as long as it's funny, it'll work. Um, but that's okay because this guy's been doing talk shows for fifteen nine or how many fifteen nine years? How yeah, long, long was he on late night? Um, oh yeah, I don't know how long he was on. He was on late night, but he was he was what? He was a Saturday Night Live writer. Then he was a Simpsons writer. Then yep. then he kind of got plucked out to do late night. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and everyone was like, "Who is this pasty faced Harvard kid?" Who you know? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should get him on our side. Maybe we can hire him to do a show for us. Because if he's he's free, right? He's like, <laughs> yeah, like, he's not busy, you know. Hey, Conan, hey, he doesn't get the money. Yeah, Conan, uh, give us a call at 20 eat log 01. 
<laughs> we have a very, very generous Mint Milano focused compensation. <laughs> 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 Just ask Ghostface Killer when he comes to pick up his deck. Yeah, call up, call up Ghostface and, and Raekwon and OTB, right? Like, uh, call him up and, and tell him what they think. Ask him what they think of overthinking it because they're fans. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna get. There's no way you can, we didn't do anything illegal, right? Like by saying that the Wu Tang Clan are fans of our show. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, let's move on. It is award season now. Yay! Just, and we it's lose my fa- it's my it's my favorite season all season. <laughs> we've had the Golden Globes <laughs> and, and we've had the uh, the the uh, SAG Awards. Um. Let's see. So. I don't know. Let's let's just open the floor to uh, to surprise to uh, to any comments about it. Let's talk about surprises. I want to talk about Sandra Bullock, who seems to mm. be who seems to be cleaning up. Right? She got a um, she got a SAG award, which means the you know the professional film acting community voted to give her an award for her performance in uh, The Blind Side. I think, but and- really. Really, that was an award for Force of Nature. I mean, it was. (laughs) I think think you have to to go all the way back to Miss Congeniality. I think to if you're gonna maybe maybe even the net. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are we gonna do the? uh, Are we gonna do the the Sandra Bullock movie? No, no, we're not. It's gonna last twenty eight days, lover boys. Let's save this for when we're at the lake house, all right? <laughs> Can I just say, I was thinking of the net earlier in this podcast when you were talking about how you get all of your stuff over the internet. Because remember, at the very beginning of that movie, the way that you know that her life is empty and hollow is that she orders pizza online. And this was supposed to be this crazy thing that you can only do in the future. Right. Like, I don't know about pizza, but I've ordered food online before and it's been good. Yeah, definitely. And then also online, uh, I had Dennis Miller killed by a secret conspiracy. That was kind of unfortunate. Um, that's a reference to what happens in the movie, which I guess maybe you haven't seen in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I will say there's God, one thing well, that made I don't this... know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I saw it while you were sleeping. <laughs> Who do I got to kill to keep this conversation going, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, let's, 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 uh, let's podcast with greater speed. Maybe careful we don't crash. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna have a lot of editing to do when the party's over. <laughs> uh, yeah. Get, get so demolition we- man. So the bottom line is that people for a long time uh, have underestimated the commercial clout of Sandra Bullock. And this right. goes back to Miss Geniality, which yes. is a tremendously successful movie. Um, she, before that, had been a number of very successful movies. She was rarely the main draw. Um, so she was in Speed. She was in A Time to Kill. She was in Hope Floats with Harry Connick Jr. Um, she was often paired against other actors, and so if the and Demolition Man, for example, too. If the piece did really well, there was always somebody else that you could credit with it. But uh, around the time of Miss Congeniality, it's like, oh, San- and I've I've read this in kind of industry related books. Sandra Bullock is the new Julia Roberts. 
Uh, and that's very hard to believe, but I think it's, it fills the niche um, of that particular kind of sort of cute, sassy, but strong kind of actress. Uh, same sort of look and feel of her performances. Um, she can do romantic comedies and, and sort of quirky, ironical pictures that aren't too quirky or ironical. Um, yeah, and the blind side just freaking knocked it out of the park in terms of cash. Like, she made a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, it was very successful. I haven't watched it. I don't know whether she deserves the award for – and this is a question I often have about in, of industry awards – in general, I don't understand how much of the award she gets for the quality of her artistry versus, and this is not something cynical. I think a lot of people would see this as sort of a cynical, awful thing, but it's is sincere, her degree of success in the business. Like, is it that this was a very successful performance and that this is something that all actors wish that they had and as a sort of um, trade organization, they want to tr- pay tribute to it because this is what they do for a living and she's really, really great at it? Um, because it's like if you were a plumber and there were plumber awards, you wouldn't mind giving it to the plumber who had the best plumbing business. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like, over, so. who over, yeah, who over time, right? You think yeah. of you think of Academy Awards going to people like like I don't know Kate Winslet or like um, like Tilda Swinton. We know that. that's a bad example. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Who's a good example? Uh, actually, not even Kate Winslet because she had some commercial movies. Uh, Hillary Swank. You know? Yes. Right. Yes. That like that. This is what. You know, this is what uh, the the kind of giant circle jerk uh, of you know the entertainment industry honoring itself. Uh, this is what this is the kind of thing they want to put forward as the exemplar of the highest aspirations of uh, you know filmed entertainment. And like that does you know that does point that does kind of um, obscure. Oh, same year as Miss Congeniality, uh, twenty eight days. Not to be confused with twenty eight days later. That was the sequel. <laughs> Bam! Way to go! Wow! Twenty eight days. days. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read off the cast of Twenty Eight Days here. Viggo Mortensen, mm-hmm. Dominic West, McNulty from The Wire, right? Uh, Steve mm-hmm. Buscemi, <laughs> Alan uh, Tudyk, uh, who is uh, who was on Firefly and. Uh, and also was in Dollhouse as uh, Alpha. And um, don't forget Mike O'Malley, host of Guts. Oh, <laughs> Nickelodeon <really>? Guts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, this is, this is a good – if you're playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, this is a good movie to know. Because, yeah, like, yeah. you can actually traverse a lot of genres, actually, if you can, if you can navigate to 28 Days. Sorry, I, I, digre- I digress. Right, um, it it sort of obscures the the idea that like you know entertainment is a is a is a business and right there are people who are sort of commercials commercially successful and who have who have sort of mass appeal uh, in this country. I mean, and we you know we talk about like real America or heartland America versus um, you know the taste of the coasts, and now now we're talking about Conan O'Brien again without necessarily meaning to but like is there uh, you know is that is that operating here i mean am i that is to say uh am i betraying my own snobbishness by being surprised that uh sandra bullock is is uh getting a, a golden globe and a screen actors guild award well maybe I mean, but one, one of the one of the sources of surprises at least for me who someone who hasn't seen this movie is the way that this movie is marketed and in addition to that a sort of assumption by a lot of us who haven't seen this, that there's this weird colonialism and racial thing going on, which doesn't quite seem appropriate. In other words, the blonde Southern woman taking in the black, the poor black man and helping him out. 
Like there's there's like at least for me, I was me having grown up in the South, and Josh, I don't know if you can speak to this as well. The thought of this whole thing, the setup, the premise of this movie makes me very uncomfortable. It's very unrealistic. This could never happen in real life. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's a it's a true story, by the way, guys. <laughs> the book it's based on a true story, as it were. So, oh yeah, but it's the kind of thing that this this sort of thing could happen in real life, absolutely. Um, yeah. However, when stories of this nature are told, they tend to be screamingly, howlingly racist. So, without having seen it, I mean, it, it could be done tastefully, certainly, but without having seen it, I am very uneasy about it. Right. So it's not just me. Not at all. No, I mean, not at all. No, I mean, no. Yeah, no, knowing knowing the story, it's it's. I mean, a, I, I read the book, you know, several years before it was made into a movie, and b, you know, as a fan of the Baltimore Ravens, for whom Michael or the black football player whom the story is about now plays for, did that sentence diagram of uh, hell that I'm going on anyway? Yeah, uh, go for it. So I'm 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 fairly familiar with the story and. I, I guess for me, it wasn't a question of what the story was about, but how it was marketed. Because, you know, I see these trailers for the blind side instead of being about, you know, a a kid from the unforgiving, you know, inner cities overcoming his, you know, the poverty of his upbringing and, and triumphing and becoming a professional football player. It's about this sassy southern woman who don't take no guff from nobody and is going to stick up for this black kid who she's found somewhere. That's at least how it was marketed. Those are the trailers I saw. Mm. They're very much about uh, very much about her sass rather than his, you know, persistence and and innate humanity. And that's the movie that's winning the awards because you don't see anybody talking about his performance, right? Well, it's the it's the performance that's winning the uh, performance that's winning the awards. I don't think anyone. I mean, is the movie even up for? Um, for award? Well, the SAG does. The SAG awards don't have categories for movies. I don't think it won. <laughs> I don't think it won the Golden Globe. I think uh, Avatar won the Golden Globe. So the the acting awards are often given to people who portray the disadvantaged, the disabled, or or something like that, right? I mean, that's a cliche, but it's a cliche that comes from some truth. Sure. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this movie, Sandra Bullock has a southern accent. So as a southerner, it seems to me that the that Hollywood is saying that uh, being a southerner is in fact a disability. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm offended. <laughs> hey, this, well, it's a good thing that that Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side won an award in this uh, for in this award show because you know with Avatar not in the running for anything. There needed to be some mighty whitey movie that was going to take the award, you know. <laughs> that seems to be the theme for this year, mighty whitey. It's going to be, you know, guys. It's going to really suck when all of these movies feature Han Chinese in the main in the main thing, where it's like, look, it's, look at this retarded white person that got taught how to read by a Han Chinese person. <laughs> like, it, look at all the opportunities he now has to make garments. Like, like this is going to be really unfortunate. At least it will ring true. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's all fun and games until somebody else is in charge, <laughs> and then it's not fun and games anymore. So. Hey, you know, uh, we were talking about what surprised us. I was really surprised, not that Christoph Waltz, the guy from Inglorious Bastards, has been winning all these awards. I was really surprised how terrible he is at giving acceptance speeches. Really huh. bad. Really? Yeah. Like, well, how bad? He's like, he's almost like, Drew Barrymore bad. Oh, really? <laughs> but he's, uh, he's full-on German, right? 
Well, yeah, but I mean, he clearly speaks English. Well, to see him act, you wouldn't suspect that he has the kind of difficulties uh, that he does. And also, the other thing that's sort of awkward about it is that it's not like he's talking off the top of his head. Both of his speeches have been these like elaborate rhetorical vehicles. Where he's, uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's uh, it's like something out of a out of a rhetoric textbook. You know, where he like takes this metaphor and kind of milks it and uh, uses all of these uh, elaborate devices, and then he reads them very very slowly as if he doesn't <laughs> quite understand what the words mean. And I mean, it makes me actually all the more impressed that he can come off as so incredibly kind of charming and quick on his feet when he's uh, when he's acting with a script that he didn't. Right, but it's really painful to watch him talk. Is all I can say. Good to know. That's my two cents. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of awkward acceptance speeches, I mean, Jordan and I apparently were the only people who watched the SAG Awards, but in in the country. But the um, (laughs) you know that, that 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 long pause there. I guess everyone was just a little gun shy. (laughs) <laughs> oh. um, so the uh, another guys, awkward... don't you know that there's a time to kill in love and war? Hope stop. Floats. Stop. 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 You are armed and fabulous, my friend. Stop. Both of you, stop. <laughs> I don't mean to set my speed to cruise control. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Good Christ! <laughs> kill it! Hey. Kill it with fire! And that's not the name of a Sandra Bullock movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, go back to whoever I interrupted. I think Josh. The uh, the other really sort of awkward acceptance speech was given by the cast of Inglorious Bastards, which won like the best ensemble cast for a drama, or maybe a comedy. I don't remember what how they classified it, but it was a three minute. Um, love letter to Quentin Tarantino, who was perhaps thirty feet away. Um, and there's this this fantastic thing where there's eight men standing on the stage, just sort of like talking about how wonderful he is, while he just you know with his sort of chin and his things just lighting up and ecstatic. Uh, it was it was sort of interesting to watch. And also, you know, Brad Pitt wasn't there um, for some reason. So it was... Yeah, that was interesting, right? <laughs> the cast of Inglorious Bastards minus the person in the whole cast that you heard of before. Uh, <laughs> oh, you've, so heard, was, of some, you've <laughs> heard of some of those people. You, you write for overthinking it. You know who... Uh, the kid from... Uh, the, the little brother from Freaks and Geeks is. You know? You know who the director of Hostel and Hostel 2 is, right? Those are actors. But yeah, uh, Omar Doom, that's the guy that I can't get over. The, uh, the guy who now has one tenth or whatever of a SAG award, who's been in two movies that Quentin Tarantino made. Presumably he's like his driver or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Omar both of his characters are also named Omar. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Omar um, Doom, after the famous overthinking it cliche. that's the one i mean that's the one that struck me as everything else seems seems pretty conventional right sandra bullock hey maybe sandra bullock uh, is going to get a best actor best actress nomination for the oscars monique seems to have a lock on supporting actress christoph waltz on supporting actor um Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, at least, is holding down the fort for movies that no one went to see uh, with Crazy Heart. But um, so, 
Right. So, like, Inglorious Bastards winning over the Hurt Locker as uh, – which was – or Nine, which was sort of, you know, more heavily favored um, – which nine? There was two movies called Nine this year, right? No, Nine the Nine the musical based on the stage musical Nine based on Fellini's Eight and a Half. You know, right? Like at least not the Tim non- Burton movie Nine. No, no, the yeah. Tim Burton produced animated movie Nine. No, right, right, right. It was right. not. I think up for maybe it was up for awards in the animation category at the Golden Globes. I don't know, um, but like it seemed like it was going to be Hurt Locker. It seemed like it was like Hurt Locker or Precious because again, this you know people you know the entertainment industry likes to uh, you know I don't know sort of d- 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 sort of fed itself as like socially relevant you know shamans. Right, uh, uh, telling stories about, yeah, I don't know, the triumph of the human spirit or some other ridiculousness. But you know, Inglorious Bastards. This is interesting. This this is the thing that I think like uh, 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 presages um, an interesting uh, interesting best picture um, race for the. Basically, Bastards. you're saying that Inglorious Bastards is not the typical prestige picture. That often wins awards this time of year. Yeah, I'm saying that it, looking at the field for ensemble cast, um, I would have laid my money on something other than Inglorious Bastards. And I wonder if this is I wonder if this is indicative of a of a groundswell within the community that votes for these uh, that they're not going to give it to something like The Hurt Locker or An Education or or Precious, and that some of the big awards, uh, some of the big awards at um, uh, at the Oscars may go to that. I mean, I, I well, I guess like Best Picture, maybe, uh, maybe Avatar has a lock on it. Oh, them's fighting words. For the people <laughs> on this, people on this podcast, them's fighting. Well, no, I mean, I look, Mark, I I'm think... giving you an award. You giving me an award? Yeah, that was a great accent. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I would really like to thank first of all my agent. And all of my wonderful fans. Thank you so much. Can we talk a little bit about about Avatar? Because like um I think that like something that I, I sent to the Wait, to the What movie is that? What movie is that? <laughs> I'm not familiar with that movie. I've never talked about it before. <laughs> um, something that I said to our internal mailing list was like I think we need to separate out Avatar as an achievement of filmmaking and Avatar as an achievement of story storytelling you know right like if you look at it as a concatenation of visual images you know i i think that there's it's a, a lot of it is is quite thrilling but if you look at it as a uh uh you know as a work of storytelling uh, obviously they they have all the problems that pete and uh and we have teased out on the site and on the podcast right am, am i wrong to make that uh to make that um distinction Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> are you basically saying the same thing we've said a whole bunch of times, which is that like Avatar is a pretty movie, but it's it's not good as a storytelling movie? Well, yeah, but that that being a being a pretty movie is not a not a a lot of a lot of the time that's that's said. I think you know in in the the main project being to trivialize the the idea that it's a pretty movie, right? Like, right. And that, like I'm saying that that being a pretty movie uh, is no mean feat. Right, right, right. And it's a hard thing to be a pretty movie. I mean, you know, it's just ask, you know, Dick Tracy. That's a very pretty movie, and it was, you know. <laughs> now, what were you saying, Jordan? Often we uh, we allow that kind of special pleading for art house projects, 
right? Like no one, no one goes to see like a man with a movie camera and says, well, the plot wasn't much. Right. Um, or even like even something that's a little bit more narrative than that, like Alexander Nevsky, right? The plot there has huge issues. Um, it's kind of boring for one. It's cliche <laughs> for another. There's there's a lot of anti-Semitism that sort of slips below the radar, even though it's right out there on the surface. So I don't really know why. But you can still look at it and say that uh, you know, in terms of the cinematography, in terms of the music, in terms of sort of the combination of those two, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So art house movies get that pass. I think that just in the last few years, big action spectaculars have become stylized enough that they kind of deserve the same pass. A lot of people, for instance, will right. Let's call it, let's call it the Christopher. We'll call it the Christopher Nolan effect. Sure. Well, no, not even. I'm going to call it the, uh, the like the Michael Bay effect because a lot of people mock uh, the Criterion Collection for including Armageddon as one of the movies that's in the Criterion Collection, <laughs> and they'll say like, "Oh, the reason they did this is because they need to fund everything, and people actually buy Armageddon." <laughs> so that's the other fact that gets tossed around. It's by far the best-selling Criterion DVD by like I think literally an order of magnitude is Armageddon. <laughs> I think it Armageddon was also is- the best movie of its decade. <laughs> I will stand by that. I cry every time I watch it, which is every time it's on TV. <laughs> and I think that there's something legitimately amazing about Armageddon. Like, if you, a hundred years from now, when you're charting the history of cinema by looking at something like the Criterion Collection, Armageddon absolutely deserves to be in there, you know? Okay. I, I mean, will fair enough. That. I mean, there are moments like when, 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 uh, spoiler alert, when, uh, Bruce Willis um, blows up the asteroid, like all that. There's all that like associative montage of like you know the girl on the, the on the swing and like you know blinding lights and and pretty pictures and like I, I thought, well, what's going on here? Like, oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you Armageddon. I don't know. It just seems like. Did you see Transformers too? No, I didn't. No. Transformers no, too, yeah. right? Like, is a work of of visual gibberish. You know, and I can't, and I can't, and like, well, I saw Avatar a second time because my girlfriend wa- hadn't seen it and wanted to go. And, um, you know, and so I like, yeah, I was taking off the weaknesses of the story and like noticed new ones as, as we were going. But like a lot of it, just the kind of the, the, the exhilaration of the motion and the, the, um, you know, the, the, the treatment of, of, um, visual storytelling on the micro level, you know, as opposed to narrative storytelling on the, on the, the macro level, I, I actually will, you know, I'll defend Avatar on, on those grounds and the, and those grounds alone, because, because politically, like if you care about the, the politics, if you care about the racial implications, if you care about the, um, uh, you know, if you care about the unities of, of uh, <laughs> you know, uh, time, place, and action, if you care about the dramatically important actions of a group of interesting characters, it's a fuster cluck from end to end. Yes, absolutely. Well, you I know, don't... I... Go, oh, go ahead. No, you go, Stokes. I was just going to say that I think that the unities of time and place are, like, way overrated. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Wow. You're like a German romantic. You're like uh, uh, Lessing writing the Hamburg dramaturgy. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly like that. Yeah. You better be careful, Stokes, or we might get Das Geheimnis involved. <laughs> or we might, we might go to Diverse Barung with Franziska. Ske- oh, it's not as funny when I did it with Christoph Waltz movie titles, is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel like how our audience feels most of the time. 
when listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are like, like <laughs> we are like we're like Conan O'Brien. We are the anti-comedy anti-podcast, and so uh, I think we have to. I think we have to bring it to the. Uh, I think we have to bring it to the anti-beginning. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyone want a parting shot? Uh, I just hope that Andy Richter can find work and that he stays in, in business because God knows the street is a seductive, uh, seductive caller. And if not for overthinking it, I know I'd probably be selling crack with Andy Richter right now. So uh, I was going to go work for Craig Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, there let's tease go. next week a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about Dollhouse uh, on next week's show because the season finale is on Friday. In the U.S., I don't know what it is internationally. I'm sorry, I'm just not grooved to uh, to think of a um, uh, an international audience. I'm sorry, and I know you know we love our international audience. Why why don't you write in more? We were getting letters from Australia and New Zealand and Poland and things like this. Tell us, hey, uh, here's a question for the international audience: um, What do you think of this whole Conan debacle? Does it? I mean, does it make sense that like you know uh, wh- how how awful? Do you think it is that in America, the, the two big stories dominating the last couple of weeks were the earthquake in Haiti and Conan O'Brien possibly no longer being the host of The Tonight Show? Like, uh, you know, how, uh, how decadent do you think our culture is? Let us know at podcastedovertinkingit.com or uh, by calling the voicemail at 20 eat log zero uh, one. We'll be back with you next week with a little dollhouse, a little discussion of Joss Whedon. Um, so, you know, get excited, people. <laughs> we're going to put the we in Whedon. <laughs> or we're going to put the done in Whedon, either way. Oh, <laughs> no, he sick burn. He seems to be able to do that all by himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but until then, until next week, uh, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, it probably doesn't deserve. Love potion number nine. All the crew, I could never look this good without...